Amen. So uh, I grew up uh, in boarding school. My parents were missionaries. And so when I was in school, most of my life was very regimented. Uh, we had like mandatory 6 a.m. breakfast that you had to get up for. And then you had like chores. And then there was school. And then I was usually in sports. So I had sports for a while after school. And then I'd get home basically in time for dinner, uh, which was a mandatory dinner with often more chores. And then study hours for two hours and then mandatory lights out. And somewhere in there, there might have been like an hour of free time. Uh, and so I didn't really have a lot of like freedom to choose what I would do in my life. Things were pretty much just, this is what it is every day. You kind of just knew what it was. And then I went to college and I was like, whoa, what do I do with this? Uh, I had so much more free time. You know, classes, it wasn't like nine to five, right? It was like, if you had three classes today, it was like, okay, I had three classes, and sometimes I was done by like noon. And then I was like, what do I do with the rest of this day? Not only that, but nobody was sitting there saying, you got to go to bed now, and I'm actually more of a night owl. So sometimes I'd be like, I could stay up till 3 a.m. watching three movies. I was like, this is great. And sometimes I did. Sometimes I was like, hey, let me, you know, this room, they're watching a movie. They finished that movie. I walk out, somebody else is like, hey, we're starting a movie. I was like, oh, cool, I'll go over here and watch this movie. And like, I honestly was just kind of like, I didn't know what to do with myself because I was like, I have so much more freedom and free time to do things. And it was just sort of like, oh. And then one time I remember I was literally staying up till about 3 a.m. almost every night, uh, getting up for like 8 a.m. classes, which I felt like I was like, you know, barely could make it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so early. Um, And then I basically like crashed. My body was like, enough. (laughs) And I just like had to sleep for like, 16 hours one day because I was just like, I need to try and like get back together. But I remember for me, that question of like, what do I do with all this freedom? I didn't really necessarily do it that wisely. Um, And today we're going to be looking at what do we do with the freedom that we have in Christ? And so we're going to be taking a look at uh, 1 Corinthians kind of from chapter 8 through chapter 10. Uh, So I'll be kind of guiding us through there, but I encourage you, if you have a Bible or a Bible on a phone or something, you can pull it out to look at that as we're kind of navigating through this. Uh, We've been looking at this series here on kind of like, what are some of the instructions for the church, and how how do we as followers of Christ actually live out our faith well? Uh, And that's part of what we're looking at here. And so, we have to remember as we, before we jump right in, is that uh, this is a letter that Paul has written, right, to the church in Corinth. So he's actually addressing questions that the Corinthians have asked Paul. So like they have written a letter or communicated through an intermediary to say, hey, Paul, what about these things? Um, And so Paul is writing this letter to address things either that he's been asked or things that he has heard. And these couple chapters are actually addressing a question that they have actually asked Paul about. And what that question is, is this, is there's, they've asked Paul and they said, hey, is it okay if we eat food that's been sacrificed to idols? So obviously not many of us are really that familiar with like sacrificing food to idols or any of that, but in this time period it had been very, very common. Uh, The Greeks and all these people, they would have had so many different gods and often sacrifices were being done all the time and that leftover food would be sold in marketplaces, or people would have it in their homes. And so the, the idea here was a very pressing and practical one for this church, because it was very common and very re- realistic that they would, on a daily basis, have to wonder if food that was prepared for them or was available to them 
if it had been sacrificed to an idol. Um, we also need to remember is that it, when the gospel first started, the, the message of Jesus Christ first started going to the Gentiles, so away from the Jews, they had to have a conversation for like, what does this mean? What do we have to do? Because the Jews have all these regulations as Jews that didn't necessarily have to happen under Christ. And so they actually met as the kind of elders of the time and the apostles, and they only gave them a couple of rules to the Gentiles. And one of those rules was, don't eat meat that sacrifice to idols. Okay, so as we kind of have that backdrop in our minds, this is what Paul says. And in verse 1, he says, and from chapter 8, Now about food, sacrifice to idols. We know that all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. We're going to pause there. So, remember, Paul is addressing their question. And I have to feel from this, we don't know exactly what they said in their question or not, but knowing from what's also gone on in the rest of the letter, I feel like there must have been some level of maybe prideful arrogance here as they ask this question, because Paul's first response is not, okay, let's talk about idols, uh, or food sacrifice to idols. His first response is, hey, I know we all know things, but knowledge puffs us up, fills us up, makes us prideful, makes us arrogant. This is his response. He's saying, I know this happens, but he says, actually, the one who thinks he knows what he's talking about doesn't know as he's supposed to know. But the one who loves God is known by God. And what Paul is actually kind of trying to do here, he's saying, okay, guys, look, I know we're talking about food sacrifice to idols, but what we're really talking about isn't just food sacrifice to idols. We're talking about how you walk out your freedom. Right? Because they're saying, hey, why do we have to, as Gentiles, follow all these rules that you as Jews have had, and we have this situation, and I think it's fine for us to do this. And as we look through these chapters Paul's talking a lot about the practicalities of what this looks like, but before he even gets there, he wants to say, hey, when it comes to walking in your freedom in Christ, check your pride. Check, check your pride. Like, yeah, sure, you might think you know something. You might have knowledge, but knowledge puffs you up often, and that's not the point. The point of your freedom in Christ isn't to get puffed up, isn't so that you have, oh, I have this freedom, I know I'm okay, and then be able to go. And so he, even from the very outset on this topic, he's saying, hey, 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 sure you think you know something, but if, you're really cons- if you really are like, I know this, chances are you don't know as you should know. But the guy who loves God is known by God. And he's trying to bring them back, even setting the stage for this conversation in a way that says, let's start from the right place. And if our pride has consumed us, has puffed us up, the knowledge that we think we know has puffed us up, then we're not in the right place. And actually, uh, he's skipping over to uh, um, verse of chapter 10. Uh, in chapter 10, the beginning there of all of this is basically Paul is using this chapter to say, or this first part, he's reminding the Corinthians about the Israelites. And he's saying, hey, the Israelites experienced like the miraculous power of God. They saw 
the, the plagues. They saw the, the presence of God in the cloud and the pillar of fire. And they walked through the Red Sea. They saw so many amazing things. And yet, that generation didn't get to go into the promised land because they walked away from God. Because in their arrogance and their pride, they decided they knew better than God and they rejected the things that God had for them. And so they never entered the promised land. And so when he kind of lists these things that happen in verse 11 of chapter 10, he says, these things, talking about what happened to the Israelites, they happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What, what Paul is bringing to mind here is he's trying to, to clue the Corinthians in to say, hey, I understand that you have knowledge. I understand you might understand what you think is right. But when we stand in a place where we are certain of where we are and we are puffed up and full of this and in knowing, yes, I have got it, that is often the moment at which we fall into sin. That when that pride arises within us, that's when we go down. And so he's even saying here, if you think you're standing firm, if you think you've got it, watch out. Because an entire generation of people missed it. And we should take note. And we should check our pride and make sure that as we're living out our freedom in Christ, that the pride of our hearts is not what is driving us forward. Because if it is, chances are we will miss it and fall into sin. This reminds me of uh, when I was, I think, a senior in high school. Um, in our, on our school property, there was these posts, and the posts were connected by some chains, and one time after a, some kind of event was happening, there was all these like senior guys here and like all the senior girls were like kind of standing over here. And some guy decided like, I'm going to like jump over a pole. And the pole were maybe like, you know, maybe waist height or something. So he like jumps over a pole and people are kind of like, oh, you know, and I don't actually think the girls are paying that much attention, but it became one of these like male bravado moments, you know. And I remember think, sitting there thinking, I got this. Like, and there was like, 15 of these things in a row. And I was like, I'm not just going to jump one. I'm going to jump all 15. I remember thinking, like, I, and I was just like, I, I've totally got this. I had never done this before. I hadn't even tried to jump them once. But I was just like, I'm good. So I kind of ran up, and then people kind of started looking, and I think one of the guys was like, oh, Jonathan's going to jump, like, all of them. And I was like, yeah, I got this. So I remember I started going, I'm like, all right, I ran, and there was a good space in between them. So I'm running, kind of like leapfrogging these things, and I was doing great. And then there was a spot where like one was a little bit farther apart than the other. And I go to jump, and I'm going to leapfrog. And as I leapfrog this thing, the cap of this pole had like some sharp points on it, and it catches on my jeans, basically from my hip all the way down to my ankles, and rips them straight on through. And so I just like, and I fall on the ground and my pants are completely ripped open. And so I was just like, oh my goodness. And then you're like, remember, all the girls are like right over here. And now I'm just like basically not wearing pants. 
And I think sometimes this is what we're like. In our surety and in our pride, we assume, I've got this. Right up until the moment that we're lying pantless on the ground. (laughs) When you have freedom in Christ, before you act on it, check your pride before you fall. Second thing I want us to take a look at here is that Paul really makes certain here as we're looking at this that we need to think of other people. So remember, this is a talk for them about whether I'm allowed to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. But Paul spends a lot of these chapters unpacking, okay, I understand that maybe it's okay for you. Sure, theologically, maybe this is fine. But what about the person who doesn't agree with you? What about the person who thinks that by eating this, it's sin? That they think I'm actually worshiping another god because I ate this meat and I'm participating in this. And he's saying, what if that's the case? And if you eat this meat knowing that or with this person, if you've done that, then you are causing that person, if they agree to join in just because, like, oh, I don't know what's going on, maybe I'll just join this person, then you're causing them to choose into a sinful act. Even though for you it wouldn't be sin, the fact that you're doing this encourages somebody else to choose into something that is not good for them to do. And so what Paul is saying it many times in these chapters, and again, I'm not going to read them all, we don't have all time, but I encourage you to look through them and read them to see that there's multiple, multiple places where Paul is pointing out it's not just about you. Think about the other person that might be affected by your decision. Sure, you might be free to do this. You might be free to act this way in Christ. But how does it affect the person around you? So I'm just going to read a couple of verses. In 8, verse 9, he says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. He says in verse 13 of chapter 8, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. In verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, kind of the second part of verse 12, Paul says, But we did not use this right. And he's talking about how as apostles he has a right to bring a wife and be supported by the church and get monetary money and sustenance from the church. But he says, we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, if my actions in any way would hinder other people, and for Paul especially, he's saying, if my my actions would in any way hinder the cause of the gospel for people to come to know Jesus or encounter Him or experience Him, if my actions, even if I am allowed to do them, would hinder that, hurt somebody, then I will put up with anything and give up my freedom so that somebody else might know Christ. That's what Paul is laying out here. And he actually says this in verse 19. He says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. 
To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not have the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak uh, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel and that I may share in its blessings. Now, I think sometimes we do this passage a disservice because I'm a missions pastor. So often we use this for like, hey, cross-cultural you know, contextualization, like I'm going to go be like somebody else. But I think in the context here, what we're actually seeing is Paul is saying, I will give up whatever freedoms I have to give up so that people can know Jesus. So for the Jews, I became like a Jew, which meant what? I'm putting myself into all the Judaistic rituals and laws. Why? Because if I don't, they won't hear me and it will hinder their cause to come to know Christ. So I've become like them. To the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile and I put aside some of my Jewish traditions so that they might hear me. See, for Paul here, when it came to his freedom, he says, my freedom is not as important as other people experiencing a knowledge of Christ. And so if any action that I have would in any way hinder other people's capacity to understand and know God and follow Him and serve Him, then I will put up with anything, is what he says. I will suffer anything so that that does not happen. He says in uh, chapter 10, verse 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. See, when it comes to our freedom in Christ, Paul is saying, hey, first check your pride to make sure you can even be in a right mind, but then secondly, think of other people because it's not about you. Christ didn't die and give you freedom to follow him so you could just do whatever you want to do. Christ died for you that you could be part of his family, live forever with him, and help other people experience the exact same thing. And so as we walk in our freedom in Christ and think through all the very different things, of different questions of what we could or could not do, are we remembering and thinking of other people? Are we thinking about how our actions will affect them? Now there's two things I want to mention about this. One is, obviously, there's a my personal thing. How what I do affects another individual. But there can also be, as a group, as a church, how whatever we're doing is affecting our community at large. Are we thinking through, how does this affect those around me? How is what I'm doing helping or hindering other people encounter Jesus? Because my hope for us is that we would be like Paul and say, if whatever I'm doing would cause anyone trouble in finding and experiencing Christ, I will put up with anything. I will suffer anything that people would come to know Jesus. That's where our freedom in Christ is supposed to lead us. That we seek the good of others. 
so that they might know Christ. Sometimes I think this is hard, especially in America, where uh, Americans in particular are very individualistic. The, more, the longer you are here, the harder it is to put off with the individualism of my rights to do whatever I want to do. It's just kind of a true thing that's here. We were a country born off of people who said, I don't want to do what you want to do. I want to do what I want to do. It's kind of in our DNA. Um, but I do like some of the new uh, rules that we have on things like, uh, I remember growing up in Europe, okay, and uh, especially when I grew up in Europe, everybody smoked. Okay, pretty much everybody smoked everywhere all the time. Uh, I remember actually one time we were in, a, I was in an airport in Sarajevo, and everywhere I saw, it, it was a very small airport, this was pretty close after the, the war in the Balkans, and there's one main air, one main room. So you know in most of your airports, there's like lots of rooms and terminals and all of that. There was really one room, okay? So you got checked in, and then you all sat in this one room, and then every like, every two feet on this wall was no smoking signs, Okay. Everyone was smoking so much that I remember looking up at the ceiling and I could not see the ceiling <laughs> because there was so much smoke. That was how much smoke there was there. And in this country, more people used to smoke, but actually, and you used to be able to smoke kind of anywhere. I remember being on planes and there was a smoking section and a non-smoking section. Thankfully, they've done away with that. The reason they've done away with these things is that we've realized that just because I'm not smoking, but you are and I'm standing next to you, there's a thing called secondhand smoke. <laughs> And what you're doing for your decisions can actually make me die. And I think in a similar capacity, some of us in our desire to just do whatever we want to do and think that we're free in Christ are literally causing others to spiritually die. All the while thinking, it's okay. I am free in my theological understanding to do this without acknowledging that, in a sense, while we're puffing away, they end up dying. May we be people who think of other people and bear any suffering so that they might know Christ. Last point I want to make is that Paul reminds us that in the pursuit of our freedom in Christ, we need to remember God. In chapter 10, uh, verse 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that may, may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, the Corinthian church is arguing about we should be able to do these things. Our understanding theologically would tell us that we're able to do these things. And Paul is saying at the end of his argument here, he's saying, look, whatever you do, whether it's about this food sacrifice to idols or another thing you want to mention. Whatever you do, make sure that whatever it is glorifies God. That whatever you're doing in your life, every moment, eating, drinking, talking, whatever you're doing, does it glorify God? Does it bring Him honor? Are you thinking of Him as you are acting out your life? 
Because every moment, every act that we're doing is something that should be honoring and glorifying to God. And then he reminds them again of these points of not causing people to stumble, thinking of other people. And again, Paul is reminding us here at the end of this that he's saying, yeah, you can imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Jesus is the ultimate example of somebody who lived out his freedom well. Because he bore all of our sin, all of our suffering on the cross that we might be forgiven and set free. He became a human and suffered and bled and died that we might be free. This is what it means to live out our freedom in Christ. To be like Jesus. To suffer on behalf of others so that they might know Jesus. When we make our freedom about my personal rights, we have missed the way of Christ. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't have correct theology or certain things like this. But I am saying in our exercise of our freedom in Christ, have we checked our pride? Have we thought of others? And have we glorified our God? Because if we can't answer yes to those three, chances are the way that we are living out our freedom is not honoring to Jesus. And we need to reevaluate. When we do everything to glorify God, we change the way we live. We change the way we work. We change the way we communicate and act with other people. The way we interact. Everything changes because we have this mindset in our minds that we're going, wow, if God, if I'm doing this for Jesus, it's going to be different. It's hard for us. God is always with us, and yet it's hard often for many of us to, to actually live or remember that like God is right here all the time. But He is. For those of us who have received Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. God is with us all the time, and yet that's hard for us to remember. But if we could remember that we're doing this for God and that God is here and everything, every moment of every day of our life could be something that is done for God, for Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him, to worship Him, even in the mundane things of life, that these things could be done in a way that glorify Him, I think it would change how we do things. One of the main reasons I think that is I remember, um, as I said, I, I grew up in boarding school, so I wasn't with my parents most of the time. I was in sports all the time. So my parents never really got to see like my games or my practices or any of that. So it's just kind of how I grew up. But there was this one random season where my parents were actually there, I remember once I was playing soccer, and it was kind of like a rainy day, and I was kind of like lethargic, and kind of like, all right, you know, whatever. Some days you just don't feel like putting much effort in. So I remember I was just kind of like really slowly, lethargically moving around the field. And then I remember I looked over, and my dad was sitting there watching me practice. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my dad's here. Like, I remember I was like, all right, we got to like get serious now. Like, we got to get up, and you know, it's just a practice. But I just remember feeling like my dad's watching me. So I... I and he didn't say anything, he didn't do anything, but me just seeing him, it was like, oh, right, like, I want to do my best. 
because I want my dad to see like what I can do and, and be as good as I can. And I think if we could have that same remembrance in our minds, that God is present in every moment of our lives, that it might just change what we do and how we do it. Because we would want to bring him glory. And we want him to see, yes, I love you, God. Yes, I'm following you, God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Um, This is what we're going to do. I think for some of us, we need to respond in different ways to this. I think some of us, honestly, need to check our pride. I think some of us have been so convinced that we know what's right and we know where we're at and we're on dangerous ground, honestly. We've allowed our knowledge of what we think is right to puff us up and if we don't watch it, we are likely to fall. I just want to encourage you in just a moment, we'll just have a time of prayer here, but if you, can, if you know in your heart, if God's pushing on your heart right now, yeah, this is you. Pride has puffed you up. I want to encourage you to lay that down. I want to encourage you to just say, God, I don't know as I think I know. Would you help me to love you? I just want to encourage you as you do that, often physical acts are helpful to, to maybe even kneel before God. I know sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, but this is really about you and God. And so if, to, to, to get into a place where you're acknowledging, God, this is, this is you, or maybe bow before him, or some way to say, I'm acknowledging this. I think others of us have been going all full steam ahead just thinking about our own needs. Convinced that we are okay. And we have ignored those around us. I think we need to repent of that as well. And for maybe all of us or others as well, the part that hits you most is, I am not living to glorify God. I have continually forgot that He is in the room. that's where you're at today, in a moment, I just even invite you to stand in a way of just glorifying God and just saying, God, my life is yours, and I want to glorify you. So I want to open us in prayer, and you respond how you feel the Spirit is leading, um, and we'll just have a moment, and then I'll close, and we'll, we'll move into a time of communion. But God, we just ask, God, I just invite your Spirit afresh. God, we acknowledge that so often in our pursuit of our freedom that we've made it about ourselves, that our pride has puffed us up, that we have ignored others, and we have forgotten you. God, we want to live for you today. So God, I ask that you just even now be showing people who need to repent of pride, give them the courage to do so. For those of us who need to repent of ignoring those around us, would you give us the courage to repent? For those of us who have just really forgotten you, would you help us to glorify your name? 
And so just, just for a moment here, as the music is just playing in the background, just invite you to respond as the Lord is leading you to respond.